The Marshall Fire, the most destructive fire in Colorado history, displaced thousands in 2021. And behind those statistics lies a concerning trend many overlook. In the aftermath of the fire, those experiencing domestic violence faced an escalated crisis. Hafadeh, and welcome to Inherited. We share the work of young audio storytellers, hoping to uplift a new generation of climate advocacy. I'm your season host, Shaylin Martos, and this is season three, episode four, One Day at a Time. Domestic abuse affects women, as well as LGBTQ and BIPOC folks at staggering rates. They have less access to resources, to housing, to mental health support, and as global temperatures rise, Colorado is more at risk for wildfires and other climate disasters. Our storyteller for this episode, Emma Shulman, saw how the Marshall Fire devastated the Boulder County community and how the government response overlooked compounding stressors that affect unsafe relationships. Today, she shares the voices of women working to provide a safe space for survivors and their children. Here's Emma Shulman with One Day at a Time. In December of 2021, I just boarded a plane at the Denver airport headed to California. In those moments before the flight took off, I was scrolling through my phone, my screen full of the news of fires sweeping through Boulder, Colorado. Even though the fire would never reach Fort Collins, where I live, I couldn't help but worry about how it might harm my friends there. In my teenage mind, I was also worried about how the fires would affect me. I was planning on starting at CU Boulder in the fall. Would going there still be a possibility? Boulder and my college did survive the fire. I'm a student there now, but this natural disaster what we now call the Marshall Fire, changed the city. I can still feel its shadow in every corner of Boulder. Over a thousand people lost their homes in the Marshall Fire. Many more were forced to evacuate. Sinemi Rooney, a therapist living in Boulder, was one of these evacuees. When I realized I need to get out, I went nuts inside the house trying to just get the cats and get up. It's part of the human condition to want to survive. Traumatic situations, like a fire, can bring out a special type of stress or panic in many people. And at first, Sunemi only had time to think of herself. I didn't take anything. I didn't take driver's license. I didn't take passport. All I did was grab two cats and their food and got out. But the house was like a tornado hit, meaning I lost my mind inside in 10 minutes. Sanemi called on her co-workers, who were more safely located, to help her navigate through the traffic clogging the highway. All the cars, I couldn't get out. So from that, how I got out was... The span, you know, my leadership and my, you know, like executive director, and they were all calling to do this, to do that. Where are you? Turn this way, turn that way. 
Sonemi works at the Safe House Progressive Alliance for Nonviolence, also known as SPAN. SPAN is an organization that helps domestic violence survivors by providing a number of services, including a hotline, a shelter program, education, and legal support. These services become even more important during natural disasters like the Marshall Fire. Domestic violence survivors face an escalated crisis during climate change-related events due to the increased stress, tension, and lack of resources. The Marshall Fire had a long-lasting effect on every community in Boulder, Colorado, including SPAN, which saw an increase in people seeking shelter and protection from violent partners. Researchers have pointed out across the globe women are more prone to domestic violence after natural disasters, which are growing more frequent as temperatures rise. Tsunami spoke to me about how the experience of evacuating helped her understand her clients' struggles more deeply. So only in retrospect, I say this is what trauma does to people. I mean, truly, this is what trauma does. I wanted to learn more about how survivors of domestic violence are impacted by events like the Marshall Fire. Unfortunately, it's often dangerous for these people to speak on the record, since many live in secrecy for their own protection. However, I was able to talk with the folks at SPAN, who work closely to support these survivors. They discussed the impact that the fire had had on their clients and their community, Here's Ann Tapp, SPAN's executive director. The immediate experience of the evacuees or the people who lost homes in the, in the Marshall Fire, I think was just kind of dealing with that overwhelming loss and trying to kind of get your, your feet under you. I also talked with Nicole Borelli, SPAN's housing director. She's a survivor herself and told me about what the label means to her. It means just making it through the day. That's how I see it. Sunemi, Anne, and Nicole have seen how survivors and the people who support them can all be deeply impacted by the climate crisis. Today, they'll share what it looked like to navigate the Marshall Fire and its fallout. Even before the Marshall Fire, housing was limited in Boulder. And since the fire, this housing crisis has only gotten worse. We had clients impacted by uh, the Marshall fires as well as uh, staff and uh, supporters. Um, we had a number of people that lost their homes. No clients did, but uh, other folks in our network did. For the clients, when it became apparent that they were evacuating towns, we took a little bit of time to track down people that we found uh, the families that we were working with relocated them to a hotel. In one of the cases, the regional hotels were full and the outlier hotel had increased its price because so many people evacuated from the fire were needing hotels. So there was a a really uh, frustrating kind of price gouging. In the same way that some people hoarded N95s in the early days of the pandemic, only to turn around and sell them for outrageous prices, hotel owners hiked up the price on rooms and housing costs when the Marshall Fire hit. So much so that the Attorney General's office investigated complaints around this issue. Supply and demand, right? If you couldn't afford the new rates, you were out of luck. In addition to just the the trauma of people fleeing their homes, and and 
in several cases, not knowing for a number of days if their apartment was still standing or if their home or the neighbors were uh, homes were standing. So it was a pretty physically challenging uh, to just manage that, but really emotionally um, intense and draining and scary. Anna remembers the way that both staff and survivors were impacted and often manipulated by price gouging. It's tragic that people would do something like that. But, it, you know, it happens in, in, in disasters. I mean, people take advantage. Um, we were in the position where the organization paid for those costs. We did that um, for our staff that had to evacuate as well as for clients. For someone who had limited means, fleeing their home, um, trying to find a safe place to stay, and then having to deal with, you know, a $350 hotel room indefinitely. It's just an additional injury to the, the trauma they were already experiencing. Navigating the evacuation process was also a big challenge for the SPAN staff and the survivors that they served. Oh my God, what? I lost everything. What am I going to do? The next thing is like, what? Okay, what, what do I need to do today and tomorrow to find a safe place? Do I have insurance? Do I have renter's insurance? If I didn't, how do I get a hold of whoever owned the property and figure out what's going to happen next? But as the weeks of recovery went on, the community rallied around those impacted by the fire. The community did a a remarkably good job of mobilizing immediately. So within 24 hours, there were things set up um, to provide fire victims with gift cards, with clothing, the ability to kind of access insurance information or just talk to somebody who knew how all of this works or, or what they needed to do. At this point, the community finally had a little bit of breathing room to process the fire and to support their neighbors who were still suffering. For some, existing struggles got worse after the fire. But for others, the fire was the catalyst for brand new hardships. Even community members who weren't clients, they weren't, they weren't experiencing violence before the fire, there were a number of uh, cases after where we were talking to, to survivors whose life, their lives fell apart and their partner's ability to kind of hold it together um, was compromised too. And so power and control and abuse started to, to emerge in the relationship. Power and control within the cycle of abuse makes it harder for survivors to get out of the situation that they're in. The cycle of abuse has a few stages. The building tension phase, an incident of abuse, reconciliation, and the calming phase. During these disasters, the cycle of abuse can become more intense. You know, I am so good at dealing with somebody else's trauma. I had no idea how this was going to hit me. As a therapist, Sanami unpacks and understands how trauma works. But it was totally different to be thrown into a traumatic experience herself. I was actually doing virtual, you know, meeting with actually Span's leadership. And then we were talking or meeting, and then I was looking outside the window. I, you know, I live in Superior, Colorado. And I said, you know, you know, team, I see these clouds. It's really dark outside. And somebody said, you know, I heard there was a fire, like a brush fire out there or somewhere. I said, my goodness, it's kind of dark. For Sunemi, like many others, the apocalyptic black sky was the first sign of trouble. 
that the government had sent an emergency message out to residents telling them to evacuate, the system failed. Only one in five of these messages got through. And then I keep looking and say, you know, it's kind of dark. And then I say, you know what, let me go down there and turn on TV. I go down there and turn on TV. It says, get out. The future of America is in your hands. This is not a movie trailer, and it's not a political ad, but it is a call to action. I'm Mila Atmos, and I'm passionate about unlocking the power of everyday citizens. On our podcast, Future Hindsight, we take big ideas about civic life and democracy and turn them into action items for you and me. Every Thursday, we talk to bold activists and civic innovators to help you understand your power and your power to change the status quo. Find us at futurehindsight.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. While change may not happen overnight, the movement for a more just society is gaining momentum. Tune in to Crooked Media's Pod Save the People, where every week you can learn about the stories that are impacting communities of color from people of color. With hosts DeRay McKesson, Kaya Henderson, Miles Johnson, and Diara Ballinger. Pod Save the People gives an exciting blend of politics, culture, and social issues all in one place. From book censorship to discussing Beyonce's impact on society. Tune in to Pod Save the People every Wednesday on your favorite podcast platform. If someone told you to jump off a cliff, would you do it? No. But there is something to be said about leaping into the unknown. That's what our podcast, Outside In, is all about. It's a safer way to explore all the weird, wonderful, and uncomfortable questions you have about the natural world. Like, what's it like to decompose? All of the germs and bacteria is saying, okay, baby, we gotta get rid of this person. Or, why the hell do we have lawns? Who the hell needs five acres of ornamental grass? I'm Nate Hedgie, host of Outside In, a podcast where curiosity and the natural world collide. Sometimes it's serious, sometimes it's ridiculous, but it's always a wild journey. That's Outside Slash In from New Hampshire Public Radio. We all think that we know what we're going to do in a crisis. We plan things, we practice fire drills, We make up hypotheticals in our head about how to avoid this situation. But the truth of the matter is, anyone is capable of freezing in an emergency. (gasps) Oh my goodness. I kind of thought, oh, oh, what, oh, frozen, right? There's a trauma and this, this response, I freeze. And I thought I would never do that. I know exactly what to do. Trauma, bring it on. That's my specialty. That's what I do for business. I did not know what to do. I stood there staring at TV. I said, oh, oh. Then I thought, oh my goodness, I have cats. I have two cats. Where are they? And then I start scramble. And all I could do was to grab two cats and then get out. And by the time I got out and then put them in the car and I tried to get out, I couldn't get out. This experience has informed the way Sanemi sees the care she provides at SPAN. There are multiple families and individuals who are impacted by the fire. And then in this case, I'm just going to give you one 
an example of one this specific family, a family of, you know, the, the four children and, and three adults. So the entire seven people was fire, you know, they lost everything. Okay. So then trauma informed will be they're already experiencing, you know, family violence, and then they lost everything. So then under marginalized, you know, group of people out there, now, now what's going to happen? Trauma informed tell you that intensity of violence increases. Trauma informed care has many aspects that it focuses on safety, trustworthiness, and transparency, peer support, collaboration, and mutuality, empowerment and choice, and cultural, historical, and gender issues. On the flip side of trauma-informed care is another approach called strength-based care. Strength-based care focuses on the collaborative relationship between a person and the services or resources they're using. Together, the supporter and the support head develop an outcome based on the person's individual strengths. Sunemi spoke about these strengths and the importance of remembering that survivors of trauma are not helpless. They're powerful. At the same time, people also have strength in the resiliency that they come out. Under extraordinary circumstances, there are incredible power that people show. And they go to whole different places, like hitting the bottom. And there's no more, you know, bottom to hit. They emerges. So we cannot forget. So this is how we operate like a safe house too. We cannot always see people as poor, sad, you know, helpless people. We don't do that. We were saying while we are holding that, that they go through incredible, you know, horrible places, but also people have made it. This is why they are here. Tragedies like natural disasters, often shine a light on long-standing issues that have been plaguing communities. In the case of Boulder, the housing crisis was drastically affected by the Marshall Fire. Today, Nicole Borelli is the housing director at SPAN, but previously she experienced housing insecurity firsthand. Yeah, I'm a survivor of domestic violence, so I came to Colorado because I was fleeing a very violent situation in Georgia. I couldn't get out of the lease, so I was penalized for that. I had to pay a lot of money to try to get my credit in order because of that. So it was really a really difficult, hard road for me to recover from, just from being a survivor of domestic violence. Um, but like I said, in Colorado, it's a little bit different because we do have that protection here. So I see that a lot of clients that have had to deal with the same situation that I dealt with in another state, being able to get out of that lease and not being penalized for it is absolutely amazing. Under the Federal Violence Against Women Act, evicting survivors for being in an abusive situation is illegal. But often, survivors don't know this. I think there is a lack of knowledge. I think it is a taboo subject, so they see it as, oh, no, like, this is your problem. You put yourself in the situation. So there's a lot of victim blaming that happens um, in this, you know, oh, if the cops are getting called, we, we don't want to deal with that. You're a problematic tenant. So there's definitely 
Um, and this happens more often, I, I would say, than not. There are people who are understanding and forgiving, but, you know, you get both sides of the spectrum when it comes to that. Many issues around survivors' rights and safe housing are still unresolved. And to Nicole, most solutions that were proposed after the fire felt like short-term Band-Aid fixes. Without enough direct support from the government on housing and other systemic inequalities, progress is slow. Yeah, it's a huge frustration. I feel like we, we just are in survival mode and we're just trying to maintain on a day-to-day basis without really looking forward to like, okay, where are you going to be a year from now, two years from now? Because we're so focused on just keeping people housed today and maybe next month. And that's like as far as our vision can go because the need is so abundant. So really, it is extremely frustrating to just kind of like live in that place where it's just survival mode. You're like, okay, five years down the road, where are you going to be? Like, I, I can't even focus on that, you know? It's, it's extremely frustrating. Nicole and the other people I spoke to have voiced feeling frustrated and sad that they can't fix everything for the survivors that they serve. Like, not even that I want to, like, I have to have this, like, short-term vision because, like I said, the abundance of the need that is right now, like, either people are going to not be able to pay their rent, um, they're going to get evicted, all this. We're not solving any problems. We're just dealing with the problems that are already in society and trying to to make a tiny little difference. But in reality, we're not making any difference. We're just prolonging the inevitable. Still, Nicole finds that it's best to take things one day at a time. Yeah, and it means just making it through the day. That's how I see it. Surviving is like, okay, you go to bed and you're like, gonna sleep and then wake up the next morning and you survived a day in this like chaotic world that we live in. It's easy to stop caring about an issue after it stops receiving a certain level of attention, especially when the issue does not affect us directly. But we've got to remember that issues of domestic violence, climate fuel disaster, lack of housing and resources do affect people directly every single day. Climate change is not a standalone crisis. It's an intersectional one. It intensifies all the challenges people face in our society. When an existing issue like domestic violence intersects with a natural disaster, it gets amplified. And our existing protections are not enough. But I'm encouraged by the work of people like Antap, Sanemi Rooney, and Nicole Borelli. They are still fighting for a better world for survivors, even when it's hard or feels hopeless. Fighting for a better world for survivors is fighting climate change. Hey there, it's Shaylin again. Thank you so much for listening to One Day at a Time by Emma Shulman. And that's episode four of Inherited. We'll return next week with an all-new episode featuring another impactful climate storyteller. And tune in this Friday for a bonus BTS interview with Emma on her process, inspirations, and growth throughout the season's production. Sinem Asi for joining us for episode four. We've got more stories, more young storytellers, and bonus craft interviews each week. 
Tune into Inherited every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Inherited is brought to you by YR Media, a national network of young journalists and artists creating content for this generation. We're distributed by Critical Frequency, a woman-run podcast network founded by journalists. The story, One Day at a Time, featured in today's episode, was written, produced, and voiced by Emma Shulman, an inherited Season 3 storyteller. I'm Shaylin Martos, your Season 3 host and producer. The co-creators and senior producers of Inherited are Georgia Wright and Jules Bradley. Our audio engineer is James Riley, and our audio engineering fellow is Christian Romo. Dominique French and Knight Turner provided production support, and our intern is Esther Omolola. Our executive producer is Amy Westervelt from Critical Frequency. YR's director of podcasting is Sam Chu, and our senior director of podcasting and partnerships is Rebecca Martin. Original music for this episode created by these young musicians at YR Media. Christian Romo, Anders Knudstad, Noah Holt, Jacob Armenta, Chaz Whitley, Michael Diaz, Sean Luciano Galarza, and Jay Mejia Cuenza. Music direction by Oliver Cuya Rodriguez and Maya Drexler. Other music licensed from APM Music. Art for this episode created by YR's Marjorie Massacat. Art direction by Brigado Bautista. Michelle Rivera is our web designer. Project management from Eli Arberton. YR's creative director is Pedro Vega Jr. Special thanks to Maggie Taylor, Jasmine Burton, Siobhan Graham, Danielle Conley, and Kyra Kyles. Please throw us a rating or maybe even a review on the Apple Podcast app. It goes a long way towards getting these stories out there. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at InheritedPod. If you want to learn more about our show and this season's cohort of storytellers, head to our website at yr.media slash inherited. Sign up Aussie for listening and see you next Wednesday. <laughs>